Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What, what is going that? on, guy? No, that's that's good. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, I think think that sounds good. So, uh, just resolving some audio issues here. But it's been about a month since the last podcast uh, during season. We're going to try to get these out at least monthly, if not, you know, every other week or so. Uh, back with my co-host Thomas. How you doing tonight, Thomas? Pretty good. Getting ready to head down to your neck of the woods. So trying to finish up on making some calls and getting packed up and editing videos so it's been a hectic last couple of days but i i can't imagine i you're gonna have some awesome videos coming out it looks like you're shooting the crap out of them up there in north dakota and minnesota yeah migration is definitely uh in full swing up here actually went out this morning and we probably saw more mallards than i've ever seen on a hunt before we no no kidding we had like 500 decoy at once so that was pretty or that worked the spread not all of them decoyed but 500 worked the spread there was at least two three thousand in the slough that we were hunting it's kind of a really long chain of sloughs so we'd see them coming from a long ways off and uh, they were really reactive to the calls really reactive to the decoys so one of the most fun hunts i've ever had the privilege to go on and really the last uh last couple weeks have been just kind of setting the bar higher and higher as soon as i think you know there's no (laughs) way we're going to top this it's it just goes up another notch so man that you guys were (laughs) 
that day you guys were shooting canvas bags like and just watching them afterwards i was <laughs> i was like oh man it's not even fair <laughs> you know we're we're shooting gadwall down here in nebraska and you're just covered up in canvas bags and mallards oh come on you know your time will come and you're already shooting some nice green heads so i don't think you can really be doing any complaining but north dakota no. was really really special um i'd been ever you know i'd gone up there and hunted geese two times in august and just seen an incredible amount of ducks both times so i had really it's been probably my number one thing that i was looking forward to most of the season was trying to get out there for a duck hunt and it uh did not fall short of expectations awesome well, we're uh, we're doing a Q and A kind of deal here, and we have a ton of questions that everyone has answered. Actually, that reminds me, I need to pull up the YouTube because there's some on there too. Uh, so we're gonna try to roll through these fairly quickly, just so we can address all of them. Uh, there's some for Thomas, there's some for me, there's some for both of us. So, uh, real quick, I do want to mention, guys, if you want to, oh, I gotta check, get that out of there. Um, if you want to check out my outdoor TV, it's a really cool like app. It's kind of like Netflix, but for hunting and fishing content, you can use the discount code high prairie and you get a 30 day free trial with that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been watching it. You can bookmark, you know, duck hunting shows, deer hunting, whatever you want to go check that out. But let's crack open some questions here, starting with, uh, the YouTube ones. We'll just roll through these. Okay. All right. JCW Outdoors asks, what do you guys consider the hardest or most difficult part of vlogging your hunts? And he has a follow-up and it is, uh, do you feel compelled to hunt harder or longer to provide content? I'll let you go first on that one. So this, you know, cause I, I get notifications when these things are coming across. Uh, I've been thinking about this since he commented that. And the hardest part is, doing the hunt justice, at least in my opinion. And what I mean by that is capturing everything that I want to capture. You know, I want, I want to capture the whistling wings, birds, backpedaling, decoying. Um, obviously, you know, you want the shots and stuff, but I, I really want to capture the whole experience and where you're self-filming and trying to hunt at the same time. That's the most difficult part. And, you know, I, there's a lot more I wish I could do, um, unfortunately you're limited when you're filming everything and hunting by yourself, but that, that would be the most difficult part for me. Um, as far as the second part, do I feel compelled to hunt harder or longer? No, I, you know, I, I don't really care. Uh, you know, I want to put out good content, but I'm happy just being out there. Um, you know, if I shoot one duck, if I shoot six ducks, it doesn't really matter to me. As long as if I get, you know, one perfect duck decoy in, that's a, that's a great day for me. That's really all I need. So no, um, I will say though, one benefit to this, you know, doing this YouTube and everything is I've learned a lot, you know, people offer nice tips down below or some, <laughs> some constructive criticism. That's always a, you know, a benefit too. So, uh, what do you think, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I'd ag I'm actually going to start on the second point. I'd agree that I don't feel compelled to hunt harder or longer. I will say one thing that filming has made me is a little bit more patient. Um, you know, one of the typical things I do is set up a GoPro somewhere in my spread. And a lot of times when I've been 
on my phone during a hunt or, uh, you know, out taking a walk cause I got bored. I'll, you know, after the hunt, I'll go back and look at that footage and I'll see that birds were in the decoys or working the decoys. So it has made me a little bit more attentive. Um, you just never know when that opportunity is going to come. And it <laughs> seems like the birds for some reason, I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure it's there. It's just coincidence, but it seems like whenever you're distracted or not paying attention is when those birds are, are going to come in. So it's one thing it has uh, changed my hunting a little bit, but definitely not made me hunt any harder. I wouldn't say. And then I'd say the hardest part about filming is like you said, um, doing the hunt justice is definitely part of it. I'd say it's just staying motivated to film during the hunt. You know, it's kind of a balance, you know, obviously we love waterfowl hunting for the, for waterfowl hunting. We don't go out there to make a video. So I want to enjoy a waterfowl hunt for what a waterfowl hunt is. I want to be able to take in the scenery with my eyes, not necessarily through a camera lens all the time. I want to, you know, work birds and not worry about filming them. I want to do all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a balance of trying to show everything that goes into the hunt, really show the hunt in um, a realistic light while also enjoying the hunt. So that's kind of where the GoPro comes in. Obviously we try to mix in as much big camera stuff as we can, but I don't think either of us would really enjoy filming quite as much if we were just sitting behind the camera the whole day because we love hunting so much. Yep. All right. Um, couple, okay. American arms channel, like to hear your thoughts on a couple things. Outlook for the remainder of the 2022 season in the Midwest slash Heartland as drought conditions continue. Props for using, you know, throwing Nebraska in the Midwest there. Uh, and how to adjust your hunting methods to accommodate for non-ideal conditions such as drought to help increase chances of success. <clears throat> Thomas, you want to start there or I can take it it's up to you? Uh, I can start on that one just thinking about the second part of it. The first part, I mean, I'd say the outlook is pretty good from everything I've seen up here. It seems like the migration is really strong this year. It seems to be a little bit ahead of schedule. I've actually asked a question on one of my recent videos and got a bunch of comments about it. And a lot of people across all different, all the different flyways are saying that they're seeing an early, my earlier migration than normal. So I'm not sure if that's due to, they're just being more birds that were produced this past year with wet conditions up on the prairies, or if there is something to it with weather patterns or, you know, there's all sorts of different factors, but it definitely seems like it's a strong migration so far. Um, in terms of outlook for next year, I mean, if you look at the drought monitor right now, I'd say two thirds of the country is in some level of drought. So it's not looking great for production next year. When I was out in North Dakota, I'm already, I was already seeing sloughs drying up pretty reminiscent of when I was out there during um, August of 2021, you know, during the peak of the drought then. So they definitely need a good snowpack up there. If they don't have a good snowpack, we'll be right back into those drought conditions on the prairies. So yeah, fingers crossed for that. And then in terms of, you know, trying to make the most of drought situations or other non-ideal hunting situations. I think the best thing to do is to take logs and learn because, you know, drought, it's not going to be a once in a lifetime thing. At some point in our lifetime, we're going to see a drought like this again. 
and there's really nothing you can do to put water back on the landscape. I mean, you can look for maybe habitats that birds will be using during a drought. Maybe birds are keying in on different food sources. Maybe they're using different water types, stuff like that. But I'd say the most important thing is just to try and observe and figure out what the birds are naturally doing and learn from that so that the next time those conditions roll around, you can be better prepared. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, like just for instance, Nebraska, we're the whole state's in a drought. So definitely need water. Um, I mean, the Mississippi River is going dry, as Hank Williams back in the day said. So every, a lot of the country needs water really bad. So hopefully we have some good snowpacks this year and uh, it starts raining again sometime. As for the second part of the question, I guess, oh, shoot, got too many tabs open. Uh, how to adjust your hunting methods. Basically, you're going to have to scout. You're just going to have to scout harder. You're going to find have to find water, uh, for at least for drought conditions. If you find water, good chance you're probably going to find some birds. Um, with drought conditions, also, you're probably looking at lower water levels. If it drops significantly in one year, you might just be hunting mudflats. So you might have to come up with a way to conceal yourself. Uh, it could be hauling in an A-frame. It could be buying some some kind of mud boot that lets you walk on top of the mud so you're not bogging <laughs> down in knee-deep mud. Uh, you know, you just got to get creative, uh, you know. So you could even try, like, uh, body booting or whatever they call it, you know, where they're hunting just really shallow mud flats behind giant silhouette decoys. I, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways that people have figured out to do it, but you just got to get creative and find where the birds are. Agreed. Although body booting isn't typical. Is, is that more just flat. shallow mud, like tidal flats or something? It's like, it's actually the area that it was originated was like, it's like, I can't say how deep it is, but you know, need a waist high, maybe even a little higher. It's basically giant grass flats out on the top of the Chesapeake Bay. So uh, originally they'd hunt out there out of layouts and sink boats and and somehow you know body booting came about I, I read about it there's actually a really good book i'm blanking on the name of it but there's a really good book that talks about the origins of it if i can remember it or um i'll look it up and put it in the foul front podcast group but um yeah not oh, yeah, typically go, go. <laughs> not not typically done on mud flats from my understanding Okay, well, I mean, like that technique though is what because I was even thinking about it. if I had bigger silhouettes, I was going to try it for teal season on like a, there. I found this mud flat, and I was like, I wonder if that would work. And I, I didn't end up trying it because I was like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to lay in mud that bad. But yeah, I mean, I I think you could take like a mow marsh or even just take your layout blind and you know build some sort of you know maybe even drag a pallet out to a spot that you've seen is pretty hot, drag two pallets out there, sink them in the mud. If the mud is, you know, um, if the mud is not so, so soft that it'll just, you know, swallow up the pallets and put your layout blind on that and stick some, uh, silhouettes around it. I bet you could kill some birds like that. I mean, that's kind of how they hunt out on the great salt lake in Utah from my understanding. Yeah. Or just lay in a jet sled or something. I mean, there's just got to get creative. That's <laughs> pretty much all you can do. Um, okay. Next one. This one's for me. Will you shoot a band this season and will it be a gadwall? Yes. I'm going to say no. Cause I'm going on almost two decades since I've shot a band and it definitely won't be a gadwall. Cause 
I think I've shot about enough of them this season. I don't want to shoot anymore, but maybe there'll be a tempting one and I'll pick it off. I don't, if I would love to shoot a brewer's deck, which is half Gadwall, but that's all, all we've had. We've been covered up in Gadwall this early season so far. It's crazy. I wish there was some place to look at the numbers on, you know, what kind of birds they banned and how many of them. I feel like just from anecdotal stuff, you know, seeing people post pictures of bands, hearing band stories, you just don't hear of many banded gadwalls in no. relation to your other puddle ducks. I mean, from my experience, from what I've heard, I mean, I'd say it's maybe one of the least banded puddle ducks. Yeah, and that might be, you know, kind of because of the habitat they like to find themselves in a lot you know they're probably not as readily around as other puddlers possibly Uh, yep what are some solo duck hunting tips for walk-on hunts walk-in hunts sorry um you want to go first on this one yeah uh i mean there's a lot of different things and we won't there's no way we could i mean we can make a whole podcast topic about this and maybe we will this off season but uh, number one, pack light. You want to, uh, you know, if you're walking in a good distance, take maybe a dozen decoys tops, take a couple boxes of shells at the most, maybe take a lighter gun, you know, don't load your blind bag down with tons of snacks and all that good stuff. Just take the, the bare minimum, take the necessities and leave every, all the, you know, stuff you don't really need back. That'd be the first thing I would say. Yeah, I, I agree that there's a ton of stuff. One thing that I've been using a lot this season on some of the solo and, you know, just kind of, especially up here, you know, I'm up in Minnesota exploring new areas for the most part. I've been using the Onyx tracking feature almost every hunt, you know, going into an area that you've never seen before in the dark. It's especially, you know, up here, we've been dragging a lot of sleds in, you know, you drag that sled in through cattails, make yourself a nice path get to where you're hunting, maybe you make a move during the hunt, and next thing you know, at the end of the hunt, you're plowing a completely new path back to your vehicle. <laughs> so it's really nice to have that tracking feature that draws an exact line where you've been, and that way you can follow the path you've already made out and not have to do double the work. Yeah. And another thing, um, I guess it would kind of go in hand with scouting. Uh, you know, you want to have have options. So depending on weather conditions, depending on if it's, you know, if there's a drought, depending on uh, what your packing looks like. There's sometimes, you know, I, I carry, I have my game cart that I throw a jet sled on and I can pack a lot of stuff in on that just by myself. Now, if there was, you know, a lot of grass or it was thick mud, probably not going to do that. Or if there's a lot of snow, you know, I'm not going to do that. If there's snow, I'll pull out my jet sled or, you know, traverse across water. There's, there's all kinds of different, um, you you just want to be very versatile, um, and be able to adapt to any changes, I guess. Yep. And one other thing I'd throw out there, I think one of the most, mm, trying to think of the right word here. One of the most rewarding things about solo hunts is that you get to make every decision. So I'd say on a solo hunt, I tend to lean towards trying new things more than I would if I'm hunting with someone. 
maybe that's a fault. Maybe I sh- when I'm hunting with other people, I should be trying new things just as much because it seems like, you know, the more you try new things, the more you're going to have success. You're also going to have a lot of failures, but um, I think trying new things is the best way to become a better waterfowl hunter. So especially when you're in that scenario where it's all up to you, I think, you know, get outside your comfort zone, try different tactics, try setting up different ways, hiding different ways and uh, see what works. Yeah. Yep. All right. Like I said, we'll roll through some, some of these kind of fast. So go over to the Facebook page on the foul front podcast group. We've got uh, about 2000 or so members. Now you guys can join there and start some discussions. Matt Grove says, when you gonna do a public land challenge where the flyways guys go to some random state or are confined to two counties to chase birds in to see who can be the most successful and see how talented your hunting skills are. And then second question, what's your definition of finishing birds? Well, I guess we can answer the first one. It's not really flyways only. Um, but Thomas and I actually will be hunting together this weekend. Well, we'll be staying together. We don't know if we'll be hunting together. We got to draw groups, but it'll be Elliot, myself, Thomas, Jordan's Harvest, Chasing Green, and Aiden. Aiden. I think that's everyone. Yeah. I think um, Carl Elliot's dad is going to oh, yeah, be there, but, but I don't know if he's going to be hunting. So yeah, it'll be all of us. We're going to be in teams of two, draw for partners, and uh, it'll be kind of be competition. It's more going to be just kind of fun hanging out, trying, seeing different hunt styles. Uh, you know, Jake's down there in uh, the timber of Arkansas, the actual timber, I guess, that some people like to distinguish. Uh, but no, it's going to be a fun time. We're going to hunt all new area to all of us so we'll we'll see uh see what we can end up with it should be should be awesome though okay thomas what's your definition of finishing birds definition of finishing birds it depends on what state i'm hunting in <laughs> <laughs> i mean in virginia if they're within 40 yards of the decoys and looking Ooh. at the decoys that's finishing birds not not seriously i mean i'd say across the board finishing birds is when they are back pedaling over the decoys or making an approach to landing at the very least um, I think there's a difference between finishing birds and working the decoys. I have no problem at all. I have no problem at all shooting birds. However, they come. I mean, if a bird gets within a distance, I'm reason I'm comfortable shooting. I'm going to shoot it most every hunt, you know, unless it's one of those really special hunts where you have the opportunity to be picky. I mean, I'm out there to shoot birds to eat, so I'm not going to pass on birds that are, uh, within reasonable range, but, you know, obviously the goal always is, I think for most every waterfowl hunter to try and finish as many birds during a hunt as you can. And the quintess, the, the picture that comes into my mind when I think of finishing birds is a bird backpedaling over the decoys. So I'd have to say that is what I would truly consider to be finishing a bird. Totally agree. Yeah. Backpedaling over the decoys, cupped up, coming in. I would say both of those finishing. Okay, what's your season total so far this year so that I know how much catching up I have to do now that my season's finally open? What are you at for uh, ducks on the year, Thomas? I have no clue. You have no clue? No clue. You don't keep track on freelance hunt stats? I do, but I'm about... I've been... Yeah, I mean, I love freelance hunt stats, but uh, this has been a weird season for me. You know, the last 
every season up to this point, it's like I hunt pretty much just during the weekends, maybe a couple weekdays, um, because I'm in school. And now that I'm working, it's, I'm either hunting or working. I'm, it's one or the other. I don't really have any free time and I love it, but, uh, I just haven't had a lot of time to sit down and do a lot of logging, which is definitely a fault on my part because I'm, I'm a big proponent of logging and I think it helps you a lot, but, um, I'm gonna, you know, I just, I've kind of been just doing it as I edit videos. So I did a video, look at the, what the wind was, what the weather conditions were during that, count my shots, and then I'll log it then. So yeah, pretty far behind at the moment, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I do have mine, uh, cause I got my little waterfowl journal right here. Uh, I'm at 91 ducks, one goose on the year. So there you go. One Chris. goose. Just one goose. <laughs> <laughs> y'all get off to such a slow start with geese down there well most of the state doesn't open till friday this year uh so like uh october 28th is like three quarters of the state opens up for goose so there's not <laughs> a lot of area you can hunt geese until and we get we don't have august 15th to go up and you know shoot geese early season either <laughs> well you were supposed to come up there and then i, I yeah know. You, I know. you bailed out last second for it, a reason i still haven't heard no, nah, it just didn't. It would have been just me going up there, like, because we had it all planned out. I, I wasn't even gonna drive. We had uh, uh, another guy was gonna drive, and like, yeah, it just didn't. It didn't work out. They had some stuff come up, but hopefully next year. And then you were texting us how crappy it was too. So, yeah, you didn't. You didn't miss much. I mean, you missed out on the North Dakota culture and. The people up there are the most friendly of anywhere else in the country. So going up there is always a treat. But in terms of the hunting success, it was it left something to be desired. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll get up there someday. But, uh, okay, this one's for you, Thomas. Brock Hardy asks, been on any diver hunts yet in Minnesota? If so, how do you like that compared to puddle ducks? <laughs> I know you've been on at least one. Well, that was in North Dakota. So, oh, well, and even, close even, enough. Even that, like, I haven't done what I would consider diver hunting. I mean, when I think of diver hunting, I think of either hunting big water or hunting out of a layout boat. And pretty much every hunt I've done so far this eve this season has either been in a slough or a pothole. So, def- I just haven't, I don't know, I haven't scouted anywhere where I've seen diver numbers that really have me itching to get out and chase them. And also, I only have a dozen diver decoys up here. So... You know, back home in Virginia, I, I don't do a lot of diver hunting down there even, but I have like four dozen diver decoys at my disposal. So I'm a little more inclined to chase them when I really have a spread to throw for them up here. It'd be like, yeah, throw my dozen canvas backs out and then hope that I can fill in the rest of the spread with mallards and other stuff. So um, <laughs> I, I think I will. Uh, there's a couple areas up here in Minnesota that I've heard are really interesting places to hunt divers. So I'm um, hoping to get out that way here in a week or two, but to, up till this point, I just haven't tried it yet. And really canvasbacks are the only ones that I, I love chasing. I mean, redheads and bluebells are a lot of fun, but they're just kind of a mixed bag in terms of eating. I've ate some redheads that were really good. I've ate some redheads that were really bad. And same thing with bluebills. So canvasbacks are the only divers that I've found are consistently, um, really quality table fare. All right. Best time to honey cold front. Jeremy Miller, Millerin. Hopefully I pronounced that right. 
uh, on its way in. Day after the change, a few days into it, small spread with jerkery on windless days or big spread with some motion. In Washington, we cannot use electronic decoys, so it is all pull strings. I like to hunt the front the day of and the day after if I can. Um, and especially if it's like a big snowstorm coming with the front, those are my favorite days to hunt. Set up, you know, it's warm in the morning, the front's going to roll through mid-morning, all of a sudden the wind switches, picks up, here comes the snow, and here comes the mallards. That That is like, you know, the dream, one of the dream hunts is just mallards in the snow riding a cold front. Um, and then the day after, you know, it's cold, usually it's sunny, there might be some good wind still coming and you can get those migrators following the front, especially if there's a storm associated with it. They'll usually trail behind a little bit. So those are my two favorite days in regards to cold fronts. And then what was, his, what was the other part of his question about uh, jerk rig? It was small spread with jerk rig on windless day or big big spread with some motion. I'd go I'd go small spread with jerk rig um, all the time. Yeah, absolutely agree. Or motion windless- ducks or... Windless day, I'm going to run somewhere between a dozen and two dozen decoys, maybe even less. I mean, I've had success just using the ultimate spreader, seven decoys on the motion ducks um, on a windless day. Yeah. Okay, that does it for the Facebook ones right now. Now we've got a ton on Instagram, so we'll try to roll through these lightning round. Will y'all ever hunt Louisiana? Uh, Someday I would like to. I'd love to get a... uh, is it cast and blast kind of deal? Redfish and teal or uh, whatever other ducks they get down there? I'm not really 100% sure. I think that's redfish down there. Or is that Texas more? The coast? No, I mean, yeah, they definitely get them in Louisiana too, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I'd be I'd be down for that. Maybe a gator hunt too. I've never tried yeah. gator. I've heard it's good. It is. It's really good. I'd like to... Not to spot burn, but I'd like to get down to like the Venice area. I mean, that's a really historic area in Louisiana. So I was actually hoping to get down there for teal this year. Um, just didn't work out with travel prices and everything. Um, but I'd like to hunt there. And then Southwest Louisiana is another area that kind of has piqued my interest. Just poking around on maps and um, watching and reading stuff. But uh, super cool state just kind of sad to hear about the habitat loss and the lack of uh, migration that they see down there yep okay next one how big is your spread usually i anywhere from a dozen to three dozen decoys usually Um, there might be six goose floaters or a variety of coots mallards teal divers it really just depends on the area i'm hunting but yeah about one to three dozen generally Yep, I'd say the same. Actually, when you have the people to do it, or especially when hunting out of a boat, I like throwing a really big spread on a windy day. Um, it's just, I don't know, there's something cool about like throwing out eight, eight, ten dozen decoys, just <laughs> sitting over that big of a spread. It's just, uh, I don't know, it makes you feel like you're hunting somewhere like Real Foot Lake or somewhere where they actually do that. Like all of our hunting, it feels like there's never a need for it, but when you have the wind to get motion and all those decoys, it's uh it's fun to try. It's an interesting experiment to see if you can make it work. 
Yeah, we tried it once last year because we had like four guys. So we were able to uh, haul all these decoys. I mean, we had swans, coots, geese, ducks. We threw we threw everything out and we shot one mallard. So I'm not a big fan of, uh, <laughs> of big spreads here, at least here in Nebraska. <laughs> what is the number one bird on your hit list and do you plan on traveling to get it? Mine is a cinnamon teal, and I don't, I don't know. It, dep- it depends on what you call traveling to get it. I mean, I kind of just, you know, I bounce right now. I'm bouncing from Minnesota to Virginia, so I think there you don't really have any chance in either of those in either of these two states. But uh, I really enjoy Texas, and I try and make kind of a yearly trip down there. And there's is an opportunity for them down there. So I wouldn't say I'm traveling specifically to target it, but I do go that down there with that in the back of my head that there is a, is a chance to see one. Yes, I'm gonna have to travel if I ever want to get my number one bird, King Eider. You have to go to the uh, Alaska, probably. So. Yeah, unless that unless I mean one did show up in Indiana last year or two years ago, so maybe I can get lucky, but who knows? I don't like. I'm probably gonna piss some people off here, but the after I saw I saw a video probably a couple years back now of those king eiders flying into the lights on one of those big crabbing ships. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> and after that, like the whole idea of going up there to um, forget what the at. Adak, something like that. I mean, one of the Aleutian Islands. The idea of doing that, and it seems like a very interesting and cool hunt, but the whole idea of like it being a tough bird to pursue beyond the conditions, I don't know if that, you know, seeing them fly into the lights kind of ruined that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was like, "Eh, well, if I ever want one, I'll just, you know, get a job as a crabbing boat. (laughs) Yeah, get a job as a crabber for a season. Um, and yeah, pick up, you know, three or four mounter quality ones. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, what are your guys' favorite states other than your home states to hunt and why? So I guess I'll start here. Uh, my favorite state to hunt so far other than Nebraska. I'd put it even is Nebraska. Nebraska. No, Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming 100% because when I'm going to the hunts, I, you know, I, I love hunting and there's a lot of places you can shoot a duck. There's a lot of places you can shoot a goose, but there's only a few places you can shoot a duck or goose when you have mountains in the background. And I love the mountains. I was able to hunt geese with mountains in the background last year, actually this year, I guess. And that was, I mean, just such an awesome scenic experience watching like geese just fly this, you know, in front of the mountains and stuff. So Wyoming hands down and you know I'd love to get to Utah and Montana for those same reasons Idaho um, but Wyoming so far of all the states I've hunted yeah I'd agree hunting ducks with mounds in the background is something special I'm really torn between Idaho and Texas I love Idaho because it's super scenic it's kind of there's some unique styles of hunting up there you know hunting out of a big boat blind on open water in non-freezing conditions from you know and shooting mallards which i did last year that was something that was really strange for me something was that was kind of 
out of the realm of anything I'd ever experienced before, but I really enjoy Texas because it's so vast and you can get into areas where the population density is so small. It really feels like North Dakota, except that it's just a, just a little bit of a different culture. I don't know. It's in the areas that I've hunted in Texas, really no one thinks about waterfowl hunting. Everybody's focused on deer and hogs and stuff like that. And so to be in an area where you feel like you're the one of the few people that's chasing waterfowl is a uh, really isolating feeling, which when you're with a group of your good buddies is, is a good feeling to have in my opinion versus I, I love North Dakota, but you see a bunch of other hunters out there. It feels like there's, um, there's just a lot of people chasing them and putting pressure on them. So just a little bit of a different feeling. Okay. That kind of leads into the next, well, I don't know what the question is. It says Texas public land. So I think you kind of just hit on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Texas people love to say Texas has the least amount of public land of any state in the U S <laughs> but Texas is also what the third largest state in our country. I mean, it's giant. So them having, you know, two, one or 2% of their state being public land is still a heck of a lot of land. And, the general scheme of things compared to other states um, like Kansas so, and Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, if you just look at a map of Texas, they have a ton of reservoirs. I mean, a lot of reservoirs and uh, most all of those are public for hunting. So that's a ton of opportunity that people don't talk about when they talk about that um, public land hunting in Texas. So I, I've never had any issues with, finding public access down there, but it's just like anywhere else. You got to do your homework and uh, be willing to put some miles on the truck or on the, on your boots. They also have Skeeter Pond too, I believe. Yes, they do have Skeeter Pond. World, world famous there. Do you Uh, know, do you actually know where Skeeter Pond is? I just know it's in Texas, but (laughs) we should go down there and hunt it. I actually know exactly where it is. That'd be kind of fun. (laughs) I I, I just want to take a picture there because it's like, all the memes from it now you want to go down there and take a shirtless picture in your underwear no i want to take a picture like that but i would you know just like pointing at the side like hey i was here (laughs) this is cool uh have you been seeing many ducks not seeing the numbers in my area yeah we had had a fair amount here in nebraska throughout uh early well mid-october we've had a couple pushes mainly gray ducks you know the widgeon the gadwall um pintails and we kind of lost seemed like we lost some of them so i think most of those birds moved south we've got a few mallards but for the most part most of the mallards haven't moved in and most of the geese really haven't i haven't seen any specks i've seen a handful of cranes haven't seen any snow geese down here so that's about where the migration is in nebraska but you're seeing a quite a few up there right thomas yeah, it seems like the mallards have really pushed down up here in the last week or so. Out in North Dakota, there was tons of snow geese, like more snow geese than, I don't know, I ever even thought came through North Dakota. And from what the locals were saying, it was just the start of the migration out there. But it seemed like every time you turned a corner, you were seeing another five, ten thousand 10,000 birds snow goose feed out there. So uh, plenty of snow geese. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say the migration in Minnesota, North Dakota has been really strong so far. All right. 
Next question here is opinion on spinners versus water movement, jerk rigs, splashes, etc. Which is better? I'm going water movement. I mean, you know, it the jerk rig's been around forever. It's been effective. It still is effective. If you have ripples on the water, I mean, a spinner when it first came out, <laughs> it was like a cheat code for duck hunting. But now it's basically new birds and uh, teal. There's every every now and then you hit the weather just right and they can be really good. But you know when everyone's running five or so, it doesn't really do you much good. Being up here has definitely given me a different perspective on it. I mean, if you put a gun to my head and told me I only got to use one for the rest of my time waterfowl hunting, I'd still pick the jerk rig just because I feel like it's a more versatile tool and it works. It'll work in every situation, but uh, up here. I, I really started to get an understanding of why people talk about why spinners are uh, so lethal in fields and, uh, and up in Canada and, you know, in areas where you have a lot of young bird production and fresh birds. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy how much they're drawn to the spinners up here. You get two or three spinners going in a spread up here and you're pulling ducks from half mile away pretty consistently, it seems like. So, um <laughs> It definitely seems like if you're hunting Minnesota or North Dakota, especially really any situation. I mean, they're they're really vital in a field because I think in a field, especially you know, birds are coming from a long ways off, keyed in on. The, or there's just a lot of open area for them to go to when they're going to fields, and the spinners are a long range attractant. And then over water, um, they just, I guess, make your spread pop a little more. Yeah. Okay, favorite duck species. This is a good question. Thomas? Ooh, it's a close call for me between black ducks and widgeon. I I guess I'll break it down super quickly. I love the way widgeon look. I love the way black ducks look too. But I think if of all the bird birds in full plumage, I think a drake widgeon is the top, the pinnacle. Um but black ducks are just a little more satisfying to hunt. You know, when you get when you get a couple black ducks or even a whole flock of black ducks in the decoys, you've really done something right on your hide and your setup because they are really wary birds most of the time. Uh, so I'd say black ducks for me, but hunting widgeon is always a blast. So I've got to go uh, green wing teal, the little little drakes. I love the color on their speculum. I love when they're fully plumed and you can just. You know, you, you just get a good flock in. Uh, they decoy easily. They're one of the best eating waterfowl. You know, I, I get those late season green wings. I'm, <laughs> I'm just plucking them all and, you know, cook them up. I can eat like a whole lemon of green wings in one sitting. Just skin on, cast iron skill, a little rosemary, a little garlic powder, and that's all you need. But love little green wings, little peeps. They're just, they're just a cool little bird. Agreed. Small, yeah. Smallest, I think it's the smallest duck in North America. Smallest puddler for sure. Yeah, uh, pretty sure it's the smallest duck. Yep. Yeah. Timber hunting or field hunting? I I apparently have never been actual timber hunting, <laughs> so I would love to do that, but <laughs> I guess I, I have to go field hunting right now because I have no real experience timber hunting. But no, yeah. no I'd, I'd love to try timber hunting. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. If you're if you can if you're from the south and you consider timber hunting to be hunting a green tree reservoir, then 
I'm out of that too. I've never done it before, but I've hunted some areas that I, I would consider to be timber hunting. I mean, flooded willows, flooded other sorts of flooded trees, you know, a- kind of swampy areas that have oaks around the edge, maybe with just a couple inches of water in them. Um, I consider all that to be timber-esque at least. So I think timbers timber takes the cake for me. Hunting in the trees is definitely something special. Oh, yeah. Some someday I'll experience actual timber hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Where do y'all find public land to hunt? Well, this uh, so there's a lot of uh, good online resources. That would be where I would start. Um, you know, there's a lot of state agencies have public land atlases um, that you can just go from their website on there. Uh, there's other apps like Onyx. Um, trying to think of some other ones, Hunt. Was it hunt maps or something like that? I, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I I just use Onyx, but um, there's there's plenty of apps out there, and there's uh, you know all the state agencies as well. So that those would be the two places to really start. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I know Virginia has a map. You go to if you go to the Virginia DWR page, go to hunting. They have a thing that says, or a part of that hunting page that says where to hunt. And then they have a map that actually highlights what areas or what public lands are best for waterfowl. It highlights all the uh, public lands in the state. So that's where I would start if you're in Virginia. And then uh, Onyx is the main tool I use. I mean, honestly, I'd love to know how many hours I've spent on Onyx just looking for areas that look good on maps, dropping pins, measuring stuff out. Um, One thing that is kind of deceiving with scouting map scouting is I feel like water always looks smaller on the map than it does in real life. So something I've started doing is I'll actually measure out the water to see how big it is. Cause you know, the last thing you want to do is go into a, you know, a big 400 by 400 yard pothole thinking it's going to be just a little slew and you know bringing a spread for a tiny little slew and you get in there and it's a big open expanse of water and you don't really have any way to hide or any way to pull birds to you when you have that much open water so um yeah measuring stuff out is something that i think is pretty important and something i've started doing a lot more recently all right uh how many black ducks have you killed thomas i over your lifetime or this year, I guess? Uh, none this year. I think I actually saw one this morning. Pretty sure I saw a hen black duck mixed in with the flock of mallards, that one of the flocks of mallards that was working us, but I couldn't say for sure, and there were so many greenheads that I wasn't really willing to take a chance and pop up and crunch a hen mallard and uh, <laughs> thinking it was a black duck. So if I had seen a purple speculum, definitely would have stood up and taken a crack, but... Um, yeah, no black duck this year. And then lifetime, I don't know, somewhere around probably 10 or 15. Uh, typically it's like a couple every year. Last year I got into a few more than usual. I think like seven or eight in total, but, uh, they're always a special bird. Oh yeah. Um, scariest hunting situation. You want to start on that one? Mm, I'd say Texas last year, it was about 15, 20 degrees, I completely filled my waders with water, and I had a mile walk back to the spread through some extremely thick stuff with no service, and probably like three quarters, you know, I was moving fast enough where I was... 
staying relatively warm, even though I had 50, you know, 33 degree water in my waders, but about three quarters of the way back, I got tangled up in some bull rushes and really bogged myself down and got so tired that I had to take a break. And as soon as I stopped moving, I started just absolutely freezing and legs started going numb. Um, eventually like I just had to just keep going, even though I was so tired. Cause I knew if I stayed any longer, I was going to start going hypothermic. So that got a little bit scary, um, but besides that, I guess I haven't really had anything else. I mean, getting hit in the head by the goose was, I was <laughs> lucky that I didn't like actually injure myself. Cause, um, <laughs> something that I've talked about a little bit in the past is five of the seven geese we shot that day had broken wings, like bad broken wings, jagged Ooh. bones sticking out. So yeah, one of those going into an eyeball or into your neck or anywhere in your head or head or neck is not going to be a good good deal so got lucky on that one but definitely the uh the scariest in recent memory was down in texas yeah i'd have to go uh it was probably five six years ago i was crossing um a channel that was iced over and there's a pressure ridge and i broke through i didn't think it was very deep it was waist deep so i'm in the middle of this channel i broke through and waders in waist deep water with current and I had like, I was struggling to pull myself back up and I had to like prone crawl across, but, uh, that was definitely <clears throat> one of the scariest. And then I don't know if you'd really call it scary. I've talked about this a little bit before in the past, but Heath and I were going to a duck blind two years ago now. And, uh, it's about three o'clock in this car. We meet them on the road and then they're going the other way. They turn and they start following us. I was like, okay. Um, and they're like speeding up speeding up on us i was like okay maybe my uh tailgate's down or something you know they pull up and it's like these two they were tweaking out on something they were asking us like interrogating us all these questions like what are you guys doing and this is like three in the morning and uh we're like well we're going out to go duck hunting and they're like don't you know it's dark how are you how do you see the ducks and like we're, we're having to exp- have this conversation to these people that were on some kind of i'm guessing a stimulant and uh so that was, that was very, uh, I don't know if it was scary. It was definitely, uh, you know, I was, I was on alert at that point because I figured, you know, it, okay, maybe it's just a farmer, you know, pulling up and he's gonna, Hey, your tailgate's down, you know, people in Nebraska are friendly like that, but no, it was just, uh, some, some kids or I don't even know. They were just on something. So that was kind of a weird experience too. <laughs> uh, I think you've told me that one before, but that's definitely an interesting one. I, yeah. yeah, and then and then we're like, well, we're gonna keep going, and then uh, we turned, and they, well, we wait till they turned off, and then we went the other way. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't want these people following us. <laughs> yeah, no. So, okay, uh, have you ever hunted with a ten gauge or sixteen gauge? I've never hunted with either. I would love to get a sixteen gauge. I do not need a ten gauge. I'll just put that out there right now. I've hunted upland with a Browning 16 gauge before, but never a 10 gauge. I'd actually like to try shooting one at some point. I don't think I'd ever actually want to own one, but uh, I think it'd be interesting to try hunting with a 10 gauge, kind of a historic gun. Yeah. See, I I would, I don't I just, I don't really care for a 10 gauge. If I had to buy something other than a 16, I'd go 32 gauge or 24 gauge. 
which they actually sell shot shells for both of them over in Europe. So they do make them, but (laughs) I don't, I haven't found them here in America yet. (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Migration report. We kind of hit that already. Okay. Some scouting questions here. Do you scout in the afternoon, evening, or mainly just in the morning? I scout whenever. Um, you, there's never a time that you can't scout. You're if you're you can scout midday if you want to. You know, if you're on a lunch break or something, uh, go look for loaf ponds or something. Those birds, are, if they're still in the area, they're gonna be somewhere. So, um, obviously, morning and evening are gonna be your um, very active areas. You can find where they're roosting in the evening. You know, where they're going back to roost, or maybe they're going out to feed. You can find where they're feeding, and then try to hunt that in the morning as well. Um, but there's really not a a terrible time to scout. You just got to know what you're scouting for, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the breaking up of morning and evening and midday, I think that's more important if you're hunting field birds, you know, birds that are hitting a field, unless it's cloudy or rainy or snowy, most of the time they're going to go to a field, either go back to the roost or go to the loaf, hang out there for the midday, go out in the evening, feed, um, from my experience, most birds that are most ducks feeding on water, they get to a spot in the morning and they just sit there all day. Um, they might bounce around from one area to another, um, and you'll see some. You might be able to see some traffic there, but I think yeah, if you're scouting bird ducks on water, I think you can scout any time of the day and try and just look for large congregations of birds. And typically, if you're hunting those type of areas, you're going to have some success. And weather also. Um, will play a huge factor, at least in like Nebraska and other areas where it can get really cold in the winter time. Uh, you know, there's been days where the birds don't fly till 2 p.m. and they'll only go out and feed once and then they come back to the roost and they'll just sit in the sun the next day because it's cold again. Um, other times they'll go out and feed twice a day. So uh, it, wind, snow, all, all that will, you know, affect your scouting and where the yeah. what the birds do. Okay, another scouting. Do you focus on finding birds or water food when scouting? Uh, a little mm-hmm. bit of both, and it depends on what you're scouting for is how I would start that, I guess. For teal, I'm looking for water. Um, you know, teal are usually in shallow wetlands, so I'm starting out looking for those and their food source. So smartweed, barnyard grass, um, some there's some sedges in there that they like to eat sometimes, duckweed, you know, just... Also look for feathers, uh, tracks, scat, all that stuff will indicate birds are using the area. And then if you can find actual birds or follow them, then you may be able to find, you know, that honey hole. Yeah, I just break it down. For me, it's preseason versus during season. Preseason, I'm going to look for water and food sources. And then during the season, I'm going to look for birds. Yeah, that's a good way to tackle it. Okay. Suggestions for a new waterfowler in Virginia with no friends to learn to go with or learn from. Well, um, I guess starting out just doesn't matter if you're in Virginia or any other state. Uh, there's lots of online resources. There's plenty of YouTube videos out there, not pimping anyone or anything like that. But there's also <laughs> a lot of uh, articles, too. Uh, you know, you can check out uh, like Wildfowl Outdoor Life, all kind. You can just type in. Tips for duck hunting, how to start out duck hunting. That's that's a good place to start. Um, there's also forums, you know, there's Facebook groups, there's um, all kinds of online resources and people are very 
uh, a lot of people will help new hunters get into it. Some people are even, you know, I've seen on Facebook, they'll be like, got de- you know, decoys to get rid of to go to a new hunter specifically, and they don't even charge anything. I see that fairly, fairly often actually in Nebraska, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I'd start there. If you've got a local Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl chapter, I'd also, you know, hit that up. It's a great way to network with people who also are duck hunters and they have more than likely have a ton of experience that you can learn from. And a lot of guys have no problem taking out a new hunter. Um, so those, those are some avenues, Thomas, you got any others? Yeah, I definitely agree on the conservation organizations. I've, um, had really good luck making connections through Delta and DU in Virginia. Um, one thing in Virginia, because of our blind law system, you know, east of 95, it gets pretty hard to hunt public water at times unless you're on WMA or other sort of public land. And the public water, for the most part, is locked up, especially the good public water. So one thing you can do is um, join a Facebook group or um, I think the, the forums are pretty much dead, but the forums used to be a good place where back in the day, basically just put out a call saying that you're willing to go out and help someone brush blinds. Um, it's not a surefire way to get an invite on a hunt. You know, I've heard of instances where people help brushing a blind and never get an invite to hunt it, which is pretty sucky deal. And, um, I think if anybody, you know, gets help brushing a blind, you should extend an invite at some point in the season to, um, take that person out for a hunt and if they put in the work to actually help brush it. Uh, but that's a good way to try to make some connections and then just scout. I mean, scouting is the biggest part of hunting anywhere in the country, but, um, especially in Virginia, I wouldn't be doing any crazy traveling. People tend to get this idea in their head that, uh, they need to travel across the state to get to a good area. There's really, there's good waterfowl hunting opportunities across Virginia. It's just about really digging deep, getting to those areas where other people aren't going to hunt. I mean, there's pressure everywhere in the state from my experience. So I think you just got to try and walk the extra mile that the other guys won't kayak into shallow areas where big boats can't get stuff like that. That'll uh, put you in areas where birds don't get blasted out of the day after they show up. All right. Very, very well put there. Okay. General tips for a first time duck hunter. Well, we already kind of hit on, uh, you know, resources you can from either people you can learn from or, you know, stuff online. Um, so I just right off the bat concealment concealment is key. You want to make sure you're hidden ducks can pick out, you know, they can see color, they can pick you out. They're really good at picking out movement. Um, scouting is a huge part of it as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, this is, uh, this is another whole kind of podcast topic. We could just go on for an hour or so on just general tips, but, uh, you know, you don't really need expensive decoys starting off. You can get garage sale ones or free decoys and then upgrade as you go. Nothing wrong with, uh, you know, touching them up with some spray paint or something too. Um, but ultimately find someone in your area who has experience. And you'll be able to learn a lot more from them than, you know, because we don't, we don't know all your areas. Like if you're hunting Nebraska, yeah, maybe some of these tips are more relevant to you. But if you're hunting the coast of Louisiana or something, <laughs> I have no clue 
you know, or a timber hole, you know, stuff they do there might not work here and vice versa. But uh, I would say seek out experience in your area being the number one. Yep. I, I completely agree with that. I think uh, it's hard to put a number on it, but if I had to throw one out, I'd say location and hide are 90, 95% of your hunt. You know, it's really tough to have a good hunt if you're either not in the right location or you're not hidden well. And the times where you are in the right location and you are hidden well, that's where those really good hunts come together. So uh, focus on those two things, scout, make sure you're hidden and you're eventually going to have some quality hunts. Yep. Birds will land into the wind too. That that's probably another good one for a beginner. Um, favorite States to hunt in uh, Wyoming. We kind of hit that one. Thomas. Yep. Idaho, okay. Texas. Yeah. How do you get proficient in scouting public waterways and actually finding birds? Hmm. Um, not to just harp on this, but I mean, on extra dropping pins and keeping, uh, just putting a lot of information into a, a system that you can access it easily is I think the most important thing. Um, if you're not taking notes or keeping logs or something along those lines, that information is eventually just going to fade away. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, public water, especially finding those areas where other people aren't going to be is is one of the keys as well. So I'd say just using mapping effectively and then uh, being willing to put in the extra mile or um, spend the extra time to look for that spot that everybody else doesn't know about. Yeah, see, I'd say just putting time in, um, you know, you might try start out on a small area the first year and scout up those areas you can scout in the summer you can scout in the spring whenever you have time find that water find the food source whatever and then as season gets you can keep scouting if you don't have as much time you can do what i like to call is a scout hunt you can just take a handful of decoys try a spot maybe you'll see birds landing somewhere else figure out why they're landing there figure out if you can hide over there figure out you know and just as you go, you can expand your area. You can expand where you can go and you'll find new areas. So start online, start with those public access maps like we were talking about, and then pick out, you know, draw, draw a circle. If it helps you make a radius, go check those out in the summer, check out what the water levels are, check out the hide situation, um, all that good stuff. And then just try them out. Sometimes that's, (laughs) I mean, it just, it's, it's trial and error. So, Yep. Okay. A lot of uh, kind of repeat scouting questions. Best things to put into practice for scouting, especially when just getting started. Just put miles on, put the time in. Uh, how many miles do you typically kayak on a hunt? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, really, really depends. I've had hunts where I kayaked in 100 yards had hunts where I kayaked in three miles. I'd say on average is somewhere between a half mile and a mile. That's uh, I'd be, I'd be half mile to two miles on average. Uh, you know, I've had, I've had those three mile kayaks. Those can get a little tedious, especially if you start getting off some wind, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite hunts, like right when I got into waterfowl hunting, one of the areas I used to hunt 
gosh, almost every day, the area that I really cut my teeth was uh, I'd paddle two miles upstream just to get to the area that I hunted. So that uh, that area is still very special to me, but uh, just don't hunt there quite as much anymore. It's got uh, people build have built more blinds back in there, unfortunately. So I used to be able to paddle two miles to get past the blinds. Now I'd have to paddle four miles, and I'm just not quite willing to do it. Okay. The next one says uh, you'll love this question. So ask Thomas about. Okay, you got to edit that part out, actually. He just. Okay, I didn't didn't know. Yeah, he just. God, yeah, that's my buddy Drew. He just completely spot burned one of our areas. (laughs) Okay. I'll just dub something else over it. Uh, best tips for beginners on the East Coast. We kind of hit that one already uh, with the Virginia. <laughs> Man, we were going real good there too. Now I got to edit. Thank you, Drew. Uh, what's the duck on top of your hit list? We've already hit that one. Ever plan on hunting in Arkansas? Yes, I would love to get on a timber hunt sometime. Um, also some speckle bellies down there too. I don't know when, um, cause I think Arkansas has some restrictive non-resident hunting laws. So I'm not really sure how all that works out there down there, but Thomas, what do you think? Yeah. I like to go hunt the timber down there. I like to find an area where I can get away from the pressure. I'm not really, I don't know if I'd want to go to one of the really popular green tree reservoir areas and pack in with the other hundreds of hunters that hunt those places. But if I could find a sort of area where I could at least get some sort of feeling of isolation, I'd be really interested to try some timber hunting down there. Okay. Uh, What do you think the key is to decoying ducks concealment and uh, location? Yep. Okay. Are you coming back to Virginia to shoot a hooded merganser limit? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, when I get back to Virginia, that'll be the first one I go on. I'm going to find the most loaded hooded merganser pond I can and go shoot my five hooded mergansers. For reference, it used to be in Virginia. You could only shoot two hooded mergansers. We have also our hooded merganser or our merganser limit is separate. So you can shoot your six regular ducks and then five additional mergansers. But it used to be you could shoot five red breasted or five common mergansers, but only two hooded mergansers. They changed that this year. So now you can shoot five hooded mergansers. Not like anybody would actually want to do that, but uh, it's kind of a running joke between my friend group that, uh, yeah, we're going to beat up on some hooded mergansers this year. So we actually, we used to have it separate here in Nebraska, but now it's included, but they got rid of the two hooded merganser limit. So that's kind of, I heard, I think South Dakota did the same. So I think it's some federal stuff that for that. Yeah, uh, I think so. Favorite duck recipe, flying prime rib, or skin on in a cast iron with a little bit of rosemary, black pepper, and garlic powder? Either skin on. I re- Actually, probably my favorite is either spatchcock duck or uh, whole roasted duck. Whole, roast, whole roasted mallard, pintail, black duck. Those are probably my three favorite all-time uh, stuff the cavity with some fruit, some onions, any, really anything you want to to give it a little bit extra flavor, um, a little bit of seasoning on the duck, 
obviously when I'm talking about whole roast, I'm talking about plucking the whole bird. So yeah, it's hard to beat that really, especially with a really fat duck. Okay. We're almost done here. I think we got like eight questions left. So (laughs) how is the lack of water affecting your early season? It uh, made teal season very miserable. Uh, We didn't have a lot of teal really. And it made hunting them very hard. We had to scout our butts off. We had to work our butts off a lot more than usual. And the areas that you could hunt that were public were very crowded typically uh, across the state. And I would guess down in Kansas there, I mean, I think down in Kansas, there was areas that were bone dry that are usually very good for teal hunting. So uh, it, uh, it definitely hampered it here in Nebraska. Yeah, I guess I can't really speak on that. Everywhere I've hunted so far this year has had pretty decent water levels. <laughs> uh, favorite duck to shoot? I have to go green wings. They're just, I love how they decoy. They just dump in. Yep, we've already hit that good. one. Yep. Uh, 2022, worst drought in your lifetime? Uh, it might be. I'm trying to think when the last big one was, maybe like 04 or so here in nebraska i mean there we've had some other smaller ones but then it came back and rained but i mean we had total crop failure in some parts of the state this year so this i would say it probably is as far as i can remember yeah definitely Uh, i'd say like the last four years or obviously i'm a little bit younger so i'm only going off like 10 years or so that's kind of really um that i've been paying attention to it but yeah, the last like three or four years in terms of just overall across the country drought have been uh, the worst I've seen. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Another starting out one. Hit that pretty good, I think. Who would win in a fight, you or Thomas? Who? Oh, I, I got know. like. Thomas I mean, I is think... younger. My. <laughs> I got a bad see... knee. I could see you being a little scrappy, but I got like, what, four or five inches over you and probably at least 20 or 30 pounds. So I think I'm going to, if I had to bet, I'd bet on myself. I've got that agility, though. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, can, I, can, I can run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just wear uh, you out <laughs> by running. All right, Floyd Mer- Merriweather. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Recommend shot size for teal and other ducks. So, I guess in I guess I'll Seven talk business. <laughs> joking for teal. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, don't don't shoot lead at waterfowl. That is <laughs> ill advised um, and not legal anywhere in the United States. Recommended teal shot or shot for teal this season in bismuth. I use seven shots. So if you have to use non toxic. Um, and that was within 28 gauge. And then for regular ducks, I've been doing really well on any, everything from mallards to canvas backs to all other ducks with uh, six shot. That's also in bismuth. It's the equivalent of steel shot fours, um, which is what I usually use. If I was using a 12 gauge, I would use steel shot fours for other ducks. For teal, I'd use sixes in steel. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. If I'm shooting bismuth, fives or sixes, steel, fours, and that's for ducks. I mean, ideally, whenever I'm shooting ducks, I'm 
gonna or whenever I'm shooting a bird, I'm trying to shoot him in the head. I mean, your most lethal shot, uh, really the only lethal, completely lethal shot is going to be either a heart shot or a brain shot. And brain shot means that there's no wasted meat, no holes or no holes in the breast. So that's yep. the uh, that's the optimal shot. Shooting number four gives you the or shooting the smallest shot possible gives you the best density to try and gives you the best odds of getting that brain shot. And uh, if I do have geese in the area, along with ducks, I'll shoot number twos. I never shoot anything. Sometimes I'll shoot number ones if I'm only targeting geese, but I never get down into that bee stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, Two questions left. Do you hunt public land mostly? Uh, I'd probably go with like 70, 30, 60, 40 split for me. I don't know. It, It just, it really depends on the year, honestly what uh you know what i can get permission on if it has water if it has suitable hide yada 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 yep i'm in the same boat i think both of us will i think we'd classify as private land opportunists i mean whenever you have the opportunity to get on get permission on private land or hunt private land it's always a treat but uh it's really fun chasing birds on public land just a little more rewarding especially if uh you're really putting in the work for them on public. Okay. Last question. Are you badass? No, I'm just a duck hunter. I, <laughs> I, I don't know, I guess. So I'm yeah, just thinking our... about that, like real sound. That's uh, well, someone's, someone's got to be the baddest basically. <laughs> Not to say that I am. No. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I'm just a guy who likes to hunt ducks. Yeah, probably. That's... I'm probably a little bit crazy, but I don't know if I fall into the category of badass. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the Foul Front podcast. Thank you, everyone who sent questions in. Be sure to go over and check out the Foul Front Outdoors podcast group on Facebook. Check out Thomas's channel, Hoke Outdoors, on YouTube. My channel, High Prairie Sportsman. And we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. See ya go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.